He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Can you imagine what it must have been like just after Jesus Christ had risen? Hopes had been dashed. Joys had been lost. Fears had been raising up. And all of a sudden, they met him face to face. Jesus Christ, alive. He's alive. We're going to look today through the eyes of Cleopas. Luke chapter 24. Some guy, some name. Who's Cleopas? We're not even sure. But you know what? His name got recorded in scripture because he came face to face with the living Christ. And we're going to take a look with him through his eyes, what it must have been like. Here we go. I'm Cleopas, okay? So transition moment. Ready? All right. We just ran all the way from Emmaus. We're talking seven miles, man. We just ran it all the way back here. You guys, we just met. We were just with Jesus. He's alive. He's, what do you mean you saw him too? You saw him too? Peter, you got to see him? I mean, we were with him all day. I'm telling you, we were walking with him. We were talking with him. No, I'm serious. Look, we were leaving. We were done. It was Sunday. It had been over three days since Christ had been crucified. And the two of us just started on the road going, I don't get it. What was that all about? All the hopes, all the possibilities. I mean, there was a moment where we just stopped and we're just standing there. We didn't even have the energy to move. And as we talked and as we lamented and as we fought a little bit about theologically, could he even be the Messiah? A a man approached. And, And as he approached us, we did the Jewish thing. We said, hey, do you want to join us as we go to Emmaus? We're on our walk. Let's walk together. And so we, we walked, the three of us, that man kind of quiet as the two of us continued this conversation of what could this have been all about? I don't understand. And then he says to me, what is it you're talking about? I looked at him, I said, what are you joking? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. We're talking about the crucifixion on Friday. Were you there? Did you miss it? And he looked at me and he said, no, explain it to me. What are you talking about? So I went through the whole thing. I started out from the beginning and I just moved on through. I said, look, this is who he is. He's, he's, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. I was amazed with that man's teaching. He moved people. He touched. He was more than just a prophet. He was a man of great deeds and great words. When he reached out and touched, the lame walked. When he reached out and touched, the blind could see. I was there one time. I saw him stand a man to his feet who had never stood before. A great man of God. 
if he was our hope, our hope for a redeemed Israel, then why? Why were the authorities so against him? They ended up delivering him right to the cross to be crucified. And as he was delivered to that cross, and as I stood there totally confused watching what was happening, my hopes of a redeemed Israel died on that cross. Now, I don't even know what to do with this, but the women in our group went to the tomb to try to drop their flowers and whatever, and they're telling us they had a vision, a vision of angels saying he's alive, saying that he's not here, he is risen. But so we sent Peter. Peter went and checked it out. And Peter, you know what he saw? Linen's cloth just laying there. I'll tell you this. There's statements that he's risen, but nobody has seen him. And in that moment, he looked at me and he said, you're not really thinking that clearly. You're, you're, you're really not believing as much as you need to believe. Well, no, that's what he said. All right, fine. He said, oh, foolish one. Oh, slow of heart to believe. Okay, he, said, he delivered it, all right? He started with authority and he brought it on me. And as he told us what his view was, this is what he said. Let me show you from the scriptures who this man was. And he started and he just poured through. I mean, Genesis where he was talking about Abraham and Isaac and the hope I am will provide. And he went through Leviticus and all these priestly things of sacrifice and how that was to be an inclination of the forward coming Christ and his replacement payment. He got into Isaiah and Daniel. I mean, two and a half hours. And this man just delivered the scripture. Our hearts were burning. And as we got to Emmaus and we stopped, he continued on a little bit. And we said, hey, you don't want to do that. Why don't you come in with us? Seriously. I did the Jewish thing. You know, I implied, I implored, I, I pleaded. Come with me. We'll be hospitable to you. And as we brought him into the house, we sat down and I gave him the fresh bread. And it sat on the table and he reached out and grabbed that bread. And as he broke it, it was like the veil was ripped back. And all of a sudden, I noticed who it was for the first time. I was sitting in the very presence of Jesus, the Messiah, Savior. He was right there. He was alive. I looked over to my buddy and the two of us were like, but, and all of a sudden, bam, Jesus was gone. And the two of us looked at each other and we looked back. You know, you check under the table a little bit. You kind of like, where'd he go? It was him. Surely it was him. And then we talked about how our hearts were just burning on that walk as he poured through the scriptures, how we were being hungered and, and just fired up with passion. It was the Messiah. And so for all of two seconds, we thought, well, should we go to bed tonight or forget that? So we brushed our feet off, threw the sandals on, and we booked it back here. Seven miles. I'm thinking we did six-minute miles all the way, man. It was a hard run. But let me tell you something. He's alive. He's alive. Our Savior is alive. From the eyes of Cleopas in Luke chapter 24. You know what? We're going to go through this verse by verse. And let's learn a little bit. 
What must it be like to meet the master? What must it be like to meet and get to know the very heart of the master? That's what we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 24. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles. If uh, you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'd love to get one into your hands. We're going to be just going verse by verse through this, okay? So Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Let's get started. What must it be like? What must it be like to meet the heart of the master? First, the first point. In this first scene here, we learn Jesus desires to be involved, so welcome him. Jesus desires to be involved, so welcome him. How do we go about getting to know him? This is exactly how. Welcome him. So let's take a look at it real quickly, okay? Verse 13. That very day. That very day. What day? You know, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, the day that the women visited the tomb and found it empty. You know, the day that Peter found the linen cloth there, but no Christ yet. That very day. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So this is a town about seven miles outside. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, what things? We need to keep in mind, this was Passover week, the week before. People from everywhere were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the good Jewish tradition. And as they came to celebrate the Passover and meet with others and have these dinners and do the Seder, Christ ended up being crucified on Friday with this big rabble-rousing crowd in this major battle. That's what they began to discuss. How could he, the hope of Israel, have been crucified? And how did this all play out together? As they began to discuss this on their way back home, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is utterly essential. Jesus Christ drew near to them. In their midst of questioning, in their midst of wondering, in their midst of thinking, he drew near to them and began to travel with them. Jesus He desires to be with us. He desires to bring us closer to him. He is drawing us near. As they reviewed the events that totally confused him, he came alongside to put his arm around, to care for, and to nurture. Question, are you aware that we serve a God who is everywhere omnipresent? Which means he is right here. He is right with us. And he draws near to us to hear and to work with you and with me in teaching us what he'd have us to know. Jesus, he desires to be near to you and to be involved. Welcome him with all you have. Welcome him. With all you have. It's as simple as this. I I don't know what you have going on, Jesus. I have a lot to learn. God, I want to lay my life before you and just hear from you. What is it that you have that you could share with me? 
It's that simple. It kind of looked like that to them. They basically just said, join us. Come along. And they began to walk along. Well, what happens when Jesus joins you? Good question. Let's take a look. The second scene, as they begin to walk along in verse 16, Jesus desires to listen patiently. Share with him. Jesus desires to listen patiently. So share with him. You know, let's just walk through this passage a little bit, okay? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? For whatever reason, at this point in time, Jesus had decided it is better that they don't know who I am that they hear instead from the scriptures. Because that's what he's going to deliver to them. It is better at this point that it is not all revealed, but at the moment, the truth of the past is revealed. And so he kept some things blinded to him. Not exactly sure why, but he deemed it best. I think I trust him. Okay? So his eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Okay, was Jesus clueless? Did he seriously not know what they were talking about? Is that what was going on? No way, right? It's the Socratic method. I'll ask you a few questions. I'll get you to begin to talk. And as you begin to chat with me and share with me where you're at, I learn more of you, but you learn more of you too. Let's talk together as we walk. So what is it you're talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Everything about them, all that they demonstrated, was that they were bummed out. That their hopes had been dashed. They had a plan, and it wasn't going the way they wanted. They had a way they wanted to see it come down, and it really didn't involve a cross. At least not with Jesus on the cross. This is not the plan. We are bummed out. We really expected a Messiah Savior to be delivering Israel and redeeming him. I don't understand why there's not a political king right now. He was supposed to be the one. And in the midst of their sadness, verse 18, then one of them, Cleopas, answered, okay, not recommended here, but he answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He basically went sarcastic with Jesus. Probably not the best move, okay? So you're standing with the Almighty. Why not rip him a little bit, right? So he's standing there talking to him, and he says, what, are you clueless? Are you serious? You don't even know what's going on? That's how blinded these guys were. And so as he rips him and belittles him and tries to talk down to him, the Almighty, who could in one moment do whatever he desired, instead answers back, what things? Patiently listening. There are times, there are moments where you and I are going through tough, tough stuff. And as we bring that before the Lord, and as we share with him what we're going through, as we begin to bear our soul to him, there are moments where we probably cross a line and we're a little bit disrespectful to who he is. But you know what? We serve an almighty who in the midst of loving you and loving me, his goal is shaping our hearts towards him. What he's not all about is retribution. What he is all about is loving you towards the cross and towards a relationship with him. And in the midst of that, he answered, what things? Very kindly and patiently. When he could have said, listen, I was the guy up there. You know what I mean? He could have gone off. But he, instead, it's just what things, right? So now he goes in and here's the little list. This is quite the list, all right? It shows a lot of respect for who Jesus was. 
he says, this is the things he said concerning him. Well, it's concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. That means somebody sent by God with the very words of God to change this society. Truth was his. He was delivering from the Almighty to you and me. Truth. And he said, here he comes. He was a prophet, a very man of God. What kind of man of God? He says right after that. He was mighty in deed and in word. Can you imagine the things he was aware of? He was aware of the blind seeing. He was aware of the lame walking. He was aware of a woman where he said, basically, your sins are forgiven you. He was aware of the authority with which he delivered when he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He was changing society one heart at a time. And I was there to see it. Some of it I got to see. And some of it I got to hear. He was mighty in deed and in word. He changed people. He says in verse 20, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. In other words, I don't get it. He was making an impact. And our leaders said, no thanks. Yeah, not him. He, he's a rabble rouser. He's a troublemaker. Put him on the cross. He was crucified. I don't get that. So we have a man of God sharing deed and word. Our leaders totally reject him. What does that say about our leaders? What's going on? And then in verse 21, what a key phrase. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Can you imagine? How could Christ have not even cracked a smile on that one? Can you imagine? Well, we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem. Oh, brother, you have no idea what I've redeemed. Right? Like, hey, you're thinking Israel and you're thinking physical. you got to think bigger. We're talking world and we're talking heart. We're talking every single human being has an opportunity to come to me. You want to talk redemption? Okay, hang on. I'll get to that in a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I can't even imagine how he held it back as he's listening to, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. Okay, note to self, we'll get to that one in a little bit, right? <laughs> then he says, yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. He talked about this third day resurrection thing. It's already the third day, where is he? I'm really totally confused. Verse 22, moreover, okay, now we're getting into whining mode. Can you hear it? Moreover, even more, some of the women in our group, now they're amazing us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying mm, they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Now all of a sudden we got visions of angels going around. So now I'm really getting confused. We've got angels saying he's alive. We've got the women saying the tomb is empty. After this, we sent Peter. Peter ends up seeing, yeah, he's not there. Um, so it says, some of those who were with us, that's actually Peter he's alluding to, went and found just as the women had said, and here's the key, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. What was his statement? Great man. Pretty good things going on. Pretty amazing things going on. As a matter of fact, I had a lot of hope in this guy. I was thinking he was the Messiah. I think Israel, turning it around. Here we go. And then, boom, up on the cross, dead, 
now alive in theory, but nobody's seen him. I don't know what I'm doing with this whole thing. He's sharing from his heart where he's at. And Christ is listening. How does Christ listen? Well, he listens all the way up until he says, right at the end there, but him they did not see. Statement of lack of faith. I don't get what's going on. Here's my question for you. In this scene, we have a man who was asked by Jesus Christ, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Where are you at? And as Jesus poured it out, as he shared where he was at, the whole of himself is beginning to get involved and enwrapped in what's happening. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear where you're at. He's come alongside and he cares. You're going through some tough stuff. You might be going through some tough family things. You might be going through some tough friendships. You might be going through some financial difficulties or some chemical dependence issues. There's some things you're going through right now that are blowing you up. Are you ready to share with them? Lean on them. Tell them all the confusions you've got, all the misunderstandings you have. Lord, I don't understand who you are. If you're supposed to be the God of the universe, what about this? Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching be disrespectful. But at the same time, if we've got this disrespect in the heart and we're not actually sharing it with them, we're really in this hypocritical mode, right? He does want to hear from us a little bit. He does want you to be sharing where you're at. Do keep in mind you're talking to the Almighty. But he does want to hear where you're at. He does want you to share the whole of who you are with him. It's about communication. It's about relationship. What is it you need to bring to him today, right now? What are you wrestling with? What struggle do you have even with him? Bring it to him. Be honest with him. Third scene. Jesus reveals himself through the word and experiences. Listen to him. Jesus reveals himself through the word and experiences. Listen to him. Watch what happens here. It is not, hey, welcome Jesus in, tell him where you're at, share the whole of you, and then you're done, move on. That's not what it is. That's talking to a wall, okay? You can get just as much out of talking to a wall. It's when you spend time with Jesus Christ, sharing the whole of you, but then afterwards, you're ready to listen to the whole of him. Amen? It's about hearing the whole of the God of the universe sharing back with you what his plans and his thoughts are for you, for the world, for your heart, and for his heart, the heart of the master, to hear the whole of him coming forth. Now, Jesus Christ answers in verse 25. Let's see a little bit of this play out, okay? Remember, we just ended with, but him they did not see. In other words, yeah, but I don't know. Nobody's seen him yet. Maybe it's not real. You hear it? There's a big questioning of the reality of Jesus here. So Jesus responds, I know. I'm not sure that's really true. I'm not, I don't know. Is that what he says? He says, oh, foolish ones. He begins to live with deep authority. Oh, foolish ones. In other words, your heads are not screwed on straight. You're not thinking right. With all that you've heard, with all that you know, your head is not being engaged. Foolish one, engage it. Start thinking. And then he says, and slow of heart to believe. You've got all the facts laid before you and you haven't embraced it. You haven't gone after it. Believe what you know is true. 
You were told that he's risen. It's time to start believing that he's risen. And then he says, to believe all the prophets have spoken. You hear that? It's not just the modern day experiences you've had. It's the very word of God. It's time for you to heed the very word of God. And then probably one of the most unbelievable moments in mankind occurred. I would have loved to have been able to have been on that walk. Yes, it would have been a seven-mile walk, but I still would have been enjoying being there. As Christ poured out, it says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, you're missing it. The Messiah is the suffering Messiah first, then his glory. You're missing it. There is a suffering that needs to occur. And beginning with Moses the first five books of the Bible, and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures things concerning himself. I just went through and wrote down a few things. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This is um, a moment in time where we hear that the I am will provide. This is when Abraham and Isaac are going through a testing moment and the I am provides the ram in the place of Isaac. The I am will provide. Well, what does that mean? It was actually forward looking to him providing through Jesus Christ. And he talked about it, I'm sure. Genesis 22 had to come up. A couple other ones. Deuteronomy 18. A promise in verses 15 to 18 that a prophet will come. One more powerful, one more mighty. And he will transform everything you know. Deuteronomy 18. Isaiah chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Isaiah chapter 11, he will be from Davidic descent, from the king of David. He will be an offshoot, a root from Jesse. He is going to be a Jew and from the line of David. And it says there, the spirit will descend upon him in Isaiah 11. I'm sure at one point he had to get to Isaiah 53, right? The sacrificing servant, the humble servant. He's carrying the whole upon his shoulders. And he is suffering for you and for me. Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks. Can you imagine how all these things are threaded together? And as they're walking along and they're like, I wish I had a note card, you know? All that stuff getting told to them as they're learning that the Messiah is going to be king. But first, he will be servant. First, he will be providing for you and for me for all eternity. And as he shows the suffering servant, and as he shows the obviousness from Scripture, I'm sure they were like, ooh, that's true. I never thought about that. Ah, another good point, you know? And by, by hour one, it's down. And you're like, okay, I'm getting the point. And then he gets to Isaiah 53, and you're like, how could I have missed that, right? They were missing everything about the suffering and the replacement payment. Warren Wiersbe had a great statement. He said, they were focused on the glory. They missed the suffering. They were focused on the crown. They missed the cross. And because of it, they were totally confused in the midst of looking at the, pure, the perfect picture of Jesus Christ providing for them. What does it look like? It's this simple. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. A verse I'm sure he quoted to him. We all have gone our own way. And as we do our own thing, there is one penalty, one payment we owe. It's eternal separation from God. Every single human being sits in that same spot before him, eternally separated. 
No way to make your own payment. No way to get there. But Jesus Christ makes the replacement payment available. So we have a holy and righteous God on the one hand who demands payment. But we have a loving and merciful God on the other who says, and I'll make it myself. And it puts him in the tension of the cross as the holy and righteous God, loving and mercifully, provides the replacement payment for you and for me. And that provision at the cross is what allows us to be forgiven for all eternity. Amen? That provision is what was done on a Friday night when nobody else understood what was happening. Amen? That provision is what was making a way available for you and for me for all eternity. And it was what, while they were looking for the crown, they missed the suffering replacement payment that was all hope for all people for all time. Amen? Now that is the hope of Easter. How do we embrace that? We welcome him into our life. We share with him where we're at. And we listen to what he has to say in challenging us. We come to him humbly and mercifully. We drop on our knees and we say, please forgive me for what I've done. I know what I owe is eternal separation, but I want to know you for all eternity. Please use your shed blood to replace what I owe. And for an eternity, we are changed. Don't get me wrong, it's not magic words. It's not a magic mantra. It's a relationship. It's laying your heart in his hands for all of eternity. We have the chance to know the suffering servant and then to know him as king. We have a chance to know the suffering servant and then to know him as king. So let me ask you a question. First, have you accepted Jesus Christ? Have you leaned on him with all you've got? Have you welcomed him into your life, shared with him where you're at, and asked him to forgive you, laying your hands, your heart, your feet, into his hands for all eternity. It's what we're called to do. It is our great hope is that Jesus has made a replacement payment for us. Have you done that? Today's the day. Now's the time. Right here. Right now. Maybe you're saying, I've already done that. What now? All too often, we can make this Christian walk something that just becomes legalistic, something that becomes not fun. It's just a bunch of to-dos. Why? Because we forgot about the relationship. Because what we're going after is just trying to control ourselves, trying to be physically in the right spot, but our heart is all over the place. It's time to get to know the heart of the master. It's time to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say from his word. Pour over his word. Get to know him through the word. Listen to him through experiences as he shares the richness of who he is. It's time for us to walk away saying, we have a risen Savior. He is alive and he is working in my life. Praise be to God. Amen? It is time to say, I am excited and I am thrilled. He has taken over my life and he's changing me for all eternity. Praise be to God. Have you done that? Today's the day. Now's the time to have a passionate relationship with him that starts Easter Sunday, 2009. Put the stake in the ground. I want to be thrilled with who he is for all eternity. And I'm starting right now. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. He's got a special message just for you. I'm not sure what it is, 
but he knows exactly what needs to come down. He's working with you. He loves you. He's working with me. He's working with our families. He's shaping and growing us. Listen to what he has to say. So first, we welcome him. We share with him. We listen to him. Fourth, we respond with action and passion. We respond with action and passion. You know, we have a significant series of events that occurred here where the men were just amazed as they broke bread together. Uh, just so you know, little side note, the breaking of the bread was supposed to be by, done by the one who owned the house, okay? So for Jesus to lean forward and grab the bread and break it was an authoritative statement. He was taking over. He was saying, this is a spot where I have authority. And I'm sure the first thing the guy did was go, what are you? Whoa. Do you know what I'm saying? It was one of those moments where it just wasn't appropriate. Now it's appropriate. I get it. You know what I'm saying? And in that moment, Jesus disappeared. Jesus was making himself known to these people. And what happens when we get to know him with all we have? What happens when we get to know him with all that we've got? We respond. It looked for them like resandling up and booking. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking the walk home didn't look like this. Yeah, it was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It looked probably a lot more like this, you know? Come on, man, get it moving. Let's go. They're trying to get back home. It's dark. There's robbers. Who cares? We got a story to tell. It's time to get the message out. He is alive. He is risen and he is here to change you and me. Surely he is burning our hearts and opening our eyes. Surely he has been transforming us from the inside out. We serve the risen savior and he brings hope and passion and joy. And when these men realized that their hearts were burning. What does that mean? Like heartburn? Bad food? What does that mean? No, it means that in that moment, passion like they've never experienced before, joy like they've never experienced before, a reasoning and an understanding like they've never experienced before. It means fulfillment beyond belief. And they responded in action with that. And they took off running. They were excited to share it. They were excited to bring it to the mountaintop and bring it to their friends, and to their family, to those they love the most. He is alive. When we respond with action, when we respond with joy, when we respond with privilege, we begin to show that a faith within us is beginning to boil up. You know, oftentimes we use this phrase in the harvest families, a faith that saves is a faith that changes you. Are you hearing it? A faith that saves you is a faith that changes you. All too often we try to do the, well, did you pray a prayer? And what we're really then going after is some external literal words like a magic mantra. But it's really about true faith and passion in him. And if we have a faith that's excited about him, if we have a faith <coughs> that really believes him, we're putting on the sandals and we're booking. Do you know what I'm saying? when it begins to motivate us from the inside out, when it changes where we go, when it changes who we talk to, when it changes the boldness with which we want to share, we've met Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to be responding with a passion and an action and a privilege and an honor that we serve the risen Savior. There are a lot of religions. There are a lot of dead men who led those religions. With Christianity, we serve the risen Savior. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was way more 
he wasn't just a man of God speaking for God. God himself. Yes, he was a man of mighty deeds. He was way more. Redeeming Israel, are you kidding me? He had redeeming the world on his to-do list that day. Do you know what I'm saying? A little bit smaller to-do list that that guy had. He's like, well, I don't know. I kind of thought he was going to be a political leader for Israel. Well, you were kind of wrong. He's kind of going to be the spiritual leader of the whole world today. That's what's going on. Is privilege beyond belief. When we look at this story, what we need to see is two men who were clueless, whose eyes were opened as the veil was ripped back. Two men that were hungering to know the truth, but didn't have a grasp of it. And Jesus Christ, in all patience and diligence, spent time in the word and through experiences, wrapping together for them this single truth. I am Jesus Christ. I am alive. I am the Messiah Savior. And I am here to change eternity. The gates of hell, they just lost. The victory has been won. I am the suffering servant who has made provision for all mankind. And you, my friend, can be changed right here, right now, for all eternity. Amen? The hope of Easter. Question. That was 2,000 years ago. Is that real? Can that really happen today? I got a note this week. Dear Pastor Tim, just a quick note to encourage you and give, you, give glory to God. He is moving and working in the congregation. A glorious alteration has occurred in me over the last month. Grace, like I've never felt or known, has poured out. I was wrestling sun up to sundown to earn his love. Didn't even realize I was doing it. I had great, well, sinful intentions, was motivated by the love I knew and thought the guilt was a good thing. I went to bed repenting and so determined to please him more the next day. And then over a couple of days in early March, like the dropping off of a load from my back, he lifted it. Unbelievable. Well, actually, I do believe it. Guilt gone, soul free. I feel light and in love and so aware that the Spirit does it all. No joy compares to what he gives. My life is his because he chose me. I have known the depths of the pit and Jesus is really beautiful to me. I know he is to you too. I see it all over you and you can't hide it. So please preach on. Jesus Christ changing lives one by one, changing hearts one by one. Bethany wrote this this week to me. I asked for permission to share it. We have an opportunity today, 2,000 years later, to experience the passion and the energy of knowing our Savior richly and deeply by welcoming him in, by sharing where we're at, by listening to him from his word, and by responding and acting in full passion and action, going after it with all we've got, giving him the whole of who we are. Let's learn from the story of Cleopas that we serve a risen Savior who can impact our lives today for all eternity. Today for all eternity. Amen.